Lysol a company or a product? I'm scared <laughs> that you don't know what I it know is. know what Lysol is. Not coming to your house anytime soon. Agent Secret from LNL Productions. A weekly podcast focused on real estate questions from industry professionals and consumers. Hosted by two full-time real estate agents, each with a unique and helpful perspective. Agent Secret, what's your question? When representing a seller, what is the best way to handle a lowball offer? Lewis, play the question. Hey guys, how you doing? JJ here, calling in from Destin, Florida. Question. So let's say that you're dealing with a difficult seller. Obviously not every seller is going to be difficult. And you're presented a lowball offer. What's the best way to approach this, in your opinion? How would you handle it? All right, first, a couple of disclosures. Number one, we're not TV real estate agents. We're agents that practice in the real world every day. And that's to say, as agents, we don't really make the deal for our sellers or a buyer, as you might see on TV. We don't have a phone call with the other agent and agree on the terms for the buyer or the seller. Instead, we include our customers in every step of the communication and let them make the choice that's best for them. Also, I would always check with your broker, your manager, or team leader as well if you're in the business, if you're a new agent especially. They'll have localized market insights and valuable experience that can help your seller and you through the negotiation. Lewis, you're newer to the game. How did your first contract or your first offer go? So this was back when I worked at the uh, pizza place. I, I worked with the buyer. I was the buyer's agent. Um, I worked with her, and uh, she wanted to go view a home. It was a, a new build community. So we set it up for the weekend. Uh, I arrived a little bit early uh, to the model home and met with a sales associate named Nora. Since it was a first uh, build, I knew she had some information about the uh, properties and uh, so I had a bunch of questions and it was it was just spill and spill after another but after the buyers got there she she came and showed the property with me and after we viewed the home the buyers kind of looked at me and they said uh so how would we go about offering and at that point I immediately shot my eyes to Nora and reading I had no clue what was going on or what the next step was so Nora practically kind of took it from there and really we went back to her office and wrote up a contract and in the end it was a cakewalk for me didn't do anything but I felt I did injustice to the to the buyers now you didn't even have to ask them if they wanted to buy they told you with a look that they wanted to buy and you told Nora with a look that you needed help doing the contract that's beautiful i mean if every deal could go like that that'd be fabulous right everyone would be a real estate agent (laughs) is it safe to say that if you had to write your own offer on that first one that you might have been a little nervous completely i I would not know where to begin i would have had to print my own paper out no clue where to even get that call my broker probably call the broker assistant and have no clue what i'm doing at all so yes 100 percent nervous so yeah lucky on your first deal i like it There are so many moving parts to a deal that how to negotiate and the finer points of negotiating may not even be on our radar in the first couple of transactions, maybe even the first 10 offers that we write. So I expect 
mostly new agents will get value from this question. Most seasoned agents, I'm sure, will have a definite opinion on how to handle this, and we'd love to know your opinion. Hit us up at agentsecret.com and let us know how you handle lowball offers. And again, as an agent, I think it's important to know that the seller should make the decisions. So instead of saying how to do it, I'll tell you how I might coach a seller on the topic of how to handle a lowball offer. Here's a couple pointers that have helped me in my personal negotiations and when I help buyers or sellers as well. When I say personal negotiations, I mean I've flipped many homes where I was the seller and up front the lowball buyer as well. First tip, try not to get emotional. That's really the best way to represent a buyer or a seller or anyone, really, even yourself. I found getting emotionally charged during a negotiation can lead to mistakes, and I've noticed personally it narrows my field of vision for all other possibilities in the transaction. Next, I would say understand your market and where your property falls in the market. What I mean is, are you in a buyer or seller's market? Inherently, one of the parties will have the upper hand as a function of the market you're in. Does your party have the upper hand? This may affect how hard of a stance a seller might take in the negotiations. Next, I want to look at days on market. How fast are properties moving? What is your market's golden window? For example, our golden window is 30 days. If a seller does not get any offers in the first 30 days in our market, we need to seriously adjust our plan. All of that is to say, where are you relative to the market? Or another way to say it, is this offer really a low ball offer? So let me take a crack at this one. Let me think it through out loud and then hit on some of the points I want to hit. And since I've been in this situation numerous times, I'll answer from a seller's perspective. So for context, I'm working with a seller in my market who just received a lowball offer. If it's me in the seller's shoes, here's how I proceed. First, I know I'm in a seller's market. My agent has updated me. We're in a strong seller's market. Good properties move very fast. In this moment, I notice my particular area has 65 days on market. From the time a property lists to the time it closes, it takes about 65 days. It's fairly strong, and I think a lot of areas in the country are seeing this type of seller's market as well. In this type of market, it would be fair to say the seller has an upper hand. In our scenario, I'm working with the seller, so that's a strong thing for our team. Obviously, when we receive an offer, we know much more about the details. So for now, let's go with three known variables. Seller's market. We received a low offer on a single-family home within 30 days of the listing. I think in a seller's market, those are three recognizable deal characteristics, right? Yeah, that's about three normal ones right there. Okay, so for the sellers, or in this case me, let's say that I'm very motivated, I want to move, but I'm not in distress. First, if the offer is in fact low, 
given my market and what I know about negotiations, if I'm the seller, here's my move. It's bold, it's counterintuitive, but in a strong seller's market, it seems like the right play. I reject the offer. For maximum strategic impact, as the seller now, I would be sure to indicate the offer rejection on the offer form by checking the appropriate rejection box or lining through the signature page with the word rejected. Bonus points for red ink. Then I want to make sure the actual rejected contract is forwarded to the buyer's and the buyer's agent. Let me unpack my thinking here because it's such a bold move. First, let me start by saying, if you lose the deal by rejecting the lowball offer, I don't think the buyer was serious or I don't think the buyer would have come to a price that the seller would have taken. So in a way, this move also weeds out the looky-loo buyers or the tire kickers just hoping to get a good deal. Next, in nature, we're conditioned to freeze, flight, or fight. A rejection freezes a lowball buyer in their tracks. My experience has showed me serious buyers will resubmit an offer if they're serious. In addition, their offer most times will fall much more in line with what we would consider a reasonable offer. And as for sending back the rejection, I think this is a big key. Most agents communicate a rejection verbally. I feel like it's much more impactful when a buyer sees the rejection in writing. It shows the seller is very serious. Also, if the buyer was expecting a counteroffer, they were expecting to feel out where the seller is in their price negotiation. A rejection gives no information as to the seller's price position and puts the move back to the buyer. A serious buyer who just got their offer rejected will do what next time? Submit their serious offer. In that scenario, now the seller gets the type of information on the lowball buyer that the lowball buyer was hoping to get on the seller. Or maybe the lowball buyer just goes away. Again, that's how I would do it as the seller. As an agent, my next move is to give the seller some ideas on how they could approach the lowball offer. I would definitely let him know how I would handle the offer if I was a seller, and as you know, I favor rejecting the offer. At the same time, I'm not a TV agent, so I know in addition to telling the sellers how I would handle the negotiations, I would give some other obvious ideas on how to handle the lowball offer so they can make their best choice. I would start with the very obvious. You can accept the offer and honestly make my life much easier. Next, you could counter back, and most sellers opt for the counter back. I think many opt for the counter because the fear of losing the buyer is too much. God, I think that uh, I think that sounds like one of my buyers. So how would you, uh, so to say, flip the script and kind of prep a lowball buyer? I got you. So if you're representing a lowball buyer, and trust me, this buyer sounds like plenty of the buyers that I've dealt with in my career as well. First and foremost, let me give you what I believe to be a good psychology tip with buyers. 
if you can get a buyer through the complete offer process, you know, sign the addendums, the contract, provide proof of funds and stroke and earnest money deposit, this buyer will be much easier to put into contract on the next house. So lowball offer or not, if it's the first offer the buyer is writing, just do it. Don't worry about if it's a lowball offer. Think of it as how you earn this buyer. Very few buyers will move from an agent they are currently writing offers with. So maybe don't start talking them off lowball offers until the second go around. First, let's rewind to the first time you talk to the lowball offer, you know, before they even offer. Really get to know the buyer. Usually, a lowball buyer is an investor or a wannabe investor. When you have a conversation with someone claiming to be either, have a blunt conversation. The best way to tell what type of investor you have is to ask a very assumptive and very blunt question. Will you be able to prove funds by way of bank account statement when you write the offer? Then pause and listen. Don't say a word. Just listen. Any other response than a confident yes will give you an idea of how strong an investor they are or what kind of buyer you have. Like I said, write any offer for any new buyer to cement your relationship and to help them see the process and how easy it is. It'll make it much easier for the next offer. But now let's fast forward to the second offer from this lowball buyer that we're asking about. This is when I start coaching the buyer, or let's be blunt, this is when I start talking the buyer into being more realistic. I start by letting them know, in my market, typical sellers are getting 95 to 97% of their asking price. Strong, strong seller's market. With this as context, I love the powerful questions of, what would you do if you were the seller? If you were the seller, given this market, how would you view this offer that you're submitting? Would you look at how fast the buyer's closing? Would you look at the earnest money amount? Would you look more favorably on an offer that was not as low? What price would be your insult threshold? All powerful questions designed to help a lowball buyer come up on their offers. At this point, I should also have enough rapport with the buyer to speak bluntly. If we get to offer number five, and I can't get the buyer more realistic, it may be time to part ways, and that can get a bit awkward, but I wouldn't go past five offers for a lowballer. If I'm real busy, I may not go past three. So, so what is the the you you bring up the terms real investor versus wannabe investor? What what's the difference between them, and how can you really spot them really right away? Because we don't got too much time. Some of my biggest deals have been with investors. And at the same time, I've wasted more of my early days in the business chasing down investors who weren't real. Recently, last year, 
I ran a social media ad and we received so many responses or what the social platform called lead forms. These lead forms were all for cash investors wanting to buy these damaged properties that we were advertising. And, and we got a lot of investors, like five to 600 of these lead forms in one month. And in fact, everyone we talked to claimed to be an investor. So necessity being the mother of invention, we decided to start asking very blunt questions with the purpose of finding out who was a real investor. And at the time, we decided to call the other ones our wannabe investors. So it's a classification that we use within our team. A real investor. A real investor is someone who can buy multiple deals and can close cash in seven days. That's our definition of an investor. Anyone else falls into the wannabe category. Real investors are money people, so don't be afraid to ask for proof of funds right away. You'll also save a bunch of time by asking this blunt question. And no proof of funds? Then they're not for real. They may be for real, they may just not be what we classify as a real investor for our team purpose. And no offense, wannabe investor, it's just jargon we use on our team to help us understand who we're working with and how to work with them. Wannabe investors fall into one of two categories generally. They're a one-house buyer wanting a good deal. For example, a person wanting to buy their first home as a fixer-upper and fix it and live in it. In that scenario, that person would be considered an investor, or at least they would consider themselves an investor. But again, they're only buying one property. Another example is bird dogs. Many real estate investment courses attract bird dogs who claim to be buyers, but later will let you know they're working with someone else who has the money. Usually they're referring to that person as their business partner, a wannabe investor. So wannabe investors are still strong leads. Uh, a wannabe investor, in fact, they'll go much higher on the sales price than a real investor will. So I think it, I might like wannabe investors more because they close more often. And in case you forgot, that's how we get paid, son. You're right. That is how we get paid, Lars. Thank you for answering my question. Do you have any more tips and tricks or advice you can give any of to the audience listeners? I think if you're a buyer, a seller, a real estate agent, an investor, I think you should go to agentsecret.com, hit the ask button, and let us know your question, and we'll do our best to answer it on one of our upcoming episodes. Agent Secret were created on Anchor, available on Spotify, subscribe and follow today new episodes are coming soon thank you lewis you're welcome lars and thank you jonathan for your awesome question hopefully one day we'll get a follow-up conversation going and we'll know how your transaction went agent secret was that my stomach or your stomach or your ass or my ass that made that noise in the end agent secret Wait, where do I... Wait. Okay. All right, I thought I had something else to say to her mind. I was like, no, no. <laughs> That's what I wanted to say.